I was a kid, I laid awake at night and heard the sounds of trains. There's a lot of things I didn't understand. A lot of things I'd do different if I could. I don't want to be criticized. Nobody takes me serious here. Like you? Who in the hell says I gotta like let go of this? How can I let go of this? It's who I am. It's all I know. I wish they froze me in a block of ice till it was my time when I was ready to make my move. Before I started doing this acting stuff, I was afraid to get up in front of me. I didn't go to the moon. I went much further. Right now, what kind of theater does this country need? How about a theater with black and brown actors who had been convicted of serious crimes and had spent years in prison? Actors who want a chance in a society that has no time for them. Actors who ache for change. You know, that kind of a theater. For the last decade, Richard Holder has taught acting at Otisville State Prison and has formed a company of formerly incarcerated men studying the art of acting at HB Studio. Prison Monologues is a podcast that reveals the actor and his story. I didn't go to the moon. I went much further. This is Prison Monologues, and I'm Alan Winson. I'm joined today by master acting teacher Richard Holler and his student and a wonderful new actor, Labrie Fulcher, who joined Richard's acting workshop while incarcerated at Otisville Medium Security Prison, a couple of hours north of New York City. Mr. Fulcher was born in San Diego, California, but lived most of his life in New York after his parents' divorce. He went to prison when he was 18 and was released recently on parole in his mid-40s. While in prison, he earned his GED and some college credits. Recently, Labrie performed in two HB Studio Zoom productions, an outcome of Richard Holler's professional acting class. Let's get started. Uh, Labrie Fulcher, thank you so much for joining us today on Prison Monologues. I saw you perform at the recent HB Studio production of Talk to Me, and I, I was very impressed by what you did there. Tell us a bit about the character you're going to be performing now. So Talk to Me is, is the monologue from, the Clifford Odette's monologue from, from uh, Paradise Lost. Yeah, well, that, that character was, was set in the past, and he was really just struggling with, with life in general. I, I really feel like the character, he was really struggling with um, whether or not he still wanted to live. He had experienced some trauma with um, him and a few friends had became stuck under some ice. Um, one of the friends didn't survive. And, you know, as he was going on and trying to move forward with his life, he was questioning whether life is really worth it and, you know, why his friend uh, was able to die and he wasn't. It was a really, it's a really good piece. And it, and it makes you, um, you know, question whether or not uh, you know, life is worth uh, living and is worth going on, moving on and, and fighting through struggles that or obstacles that we face in life. And, I, you know, I really I really enjoyed that piece. I really uh, identify with that character because, um, you know, I, I have in my past faced a lot of um, um, obstacles and a lot of struggles and problems. And I had questioned a lot of things. And um, so that, that character of, uh, was definitely um something I like I like to play. I really enjoyed um, you know, that uh 
that monologue. Can we hear? Can we hear some of it now? Sure. We're still under the ice, you and me. We never escape. Christ, cutie. Are we the same kids who used to go up the Whitey Omer's roof and watch the pigeons fly? You and me and Danny. There's one pal we know what happened to, where he is. The three of us under the ice with our skates on and not being able to get him out. Then sticking him dead in the box, dressed in a blue serge suit and a stiff white collar. Christ, cutie. Tell me. Tell me. Who died there? Me or you or him or what? Is there anywhere in Wings in Paradise? Or is he a cheap cluck like you and me? Trying to make a living? Trying to be a man and look the world in the face in some other hell? <laughs> he ducked out in time. Last night I couldn't sleep. All the way over to the bridge I walked. Stood there for a long time looking in the water. Then I began to run down the street. I used to like to be out in front. When I fell in that rhythm and I knew my reserve, the steady driving forward, <laughs> I sang inside when I ran. Yeah. Sang like an airplane. Powerful motors humming and oil. I wanted to run till my heart exploded. A funny way to die. What did I want? To be a great man? Get my picture on a poster stand? Thank you, Libri. That, that was amazing. I remember when you uh, did it um, in, um, it was, it's for Talk to Me, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I had not recognized it as a Clifford Odets piece. Um, I thought this was just you talking um, <laughs> and maybe about something that happened when you were a kid. And um, that that was so impressive uh, because you want a performance to be natural, and yours is. I wonder if you're um, and you mentioned this before that you that you're fighting through life. Uh, you've not had the easiest life, clearly. And how maybe you could say a little bit more about how you connect with this piece, which was written uh, way before you were born. Right, 90 years ago. <laughs> okay. How, how is it that you resonate with this piece? It, seemed to, it seems to be you talking. What I really resonated with with the character was just that, um, you know, questioning. Experiencing trauma, that's one thing. You know, experiencing trauma at a young age and, and then questioning whether life is, is worth living. Um, me, un unfortunately, when I was 18, less than 60 days after my 18th birthday, I was arrested and I went to prison and I stayed there for 26 years. And um, I really, I really questioned whether or not it was even worth, you know, staying alive, just being in prison. I felt like I wasn't really living. And I was wondering, you know, questioning, asking myself whether life was worth living, whether, you know, it was worth to move on. And um, I think that's something that this character was questioning also, you know, he was questioning whether um, life was worth living and it was worth moving on. And, you know, just that, that, um, that piece that I just read where he went to, you know, where he went to the bridge, I really felt like he was contemplating whether or not to jump off the bridge. And, you know, 
that right there, you know, resonated with me because I have actually contemplated, like I said, whether life is worth going on. So even though the time difference and the circumstance are are, are a little different, I still, um, you know, empathize and, and sympathize with, with that character because I also, like I said, experienced trauma at a young age. You know, not just going to prison, just living life, um, period. I lost friends to um, gun violence at a young age, family members. And, <clears throat> you know, as time went on, I just started to question life, whether it was even worth it. So that's that's why I really uh, identify with that character. Where are you now? Are, 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 do you feel good with yourself now? I'm in a really good place now. I'm really, I'm, I'm with a really good place now. And I'm actually finding joy and comfort um, helping others. Um, currently, I'm employed with the Exodus Transition Community, and I work as a, um, as a case manager, and I help connect clients to services, and I, you know, and perform um, care coordination, and you know, it's really fulfilling for me. So in a sense now, I have a purpose. Where in the past, you know, like being in prison is like you have no purpose. Like what you're just existing, you're just there. But you know, now I have a purpose and I, I feel really good, you know, when, I, um, when I'm able to help somebody and, and they, they thank me generally, you know, it, I feel like I'm here for a reason and, you know, I'm not ready to go. <laughs> My work is not done. So now I'm, I'm in a good place. I'm in a good place now. It seems to me, you know, we are who we are throughout our lives. We can change, but we are who we are. And you seemed, from what I, little I know about you, that even when you were in prison, that you uh, took advantage of the situation as much as you could. You got your GED while in prison. You got some college credits. And though you uh, describe yourself as introverted, you don't seem very introverted, but I can understand that, you took a public speaking class. I used to teach public speaking for many, many years at John Jay College, and I'm wondering what a public speaking class in a prison environment would be like, what, what the students were like, and what the speeches were that you chose to, to make. Do, do you remember any of that? One of the speeches I made was... Um... First, it was um like for me, like I said, I'm, I, I was you know mostly introverted, and I really took the class and challenged myself, and I, I didn't like being introverted and, and what some would call antisocial. I didn't like um I didn't like being that person, so I wanted to challenge myself. Actually, also, uh, you know, just speaking with family members, they. A lot of family members were, were reminding me of things from when I was when I was really young, and they were telling me how I was outgoing and um, and smart and sociable, and you know from reading a lot of books in prison, I've learned that we we um we adapt. So I had to develop you know coping mechanisms to deal with this um, unnatural environment of prison, you know, just being in this upside down kingdom at a, at a really young age. And I, I guess I became um, introverted, you know, to protect myself. And I didn't like it and I wanted to really like break myself out of it. So I challenged myself by, you know, <laughs> and, and joining a public speaking class. But one of the topics that I gave a speech on was on um, opinions. And the, uh, 
their value of opinions. And constantly throughout my life, I, I've heard people make um, statements like opinions don't matter. And I, I, I personally disagree. I feel like as human beings, we express our opinions through our words and actions. And, you know, that has that has a major effect on, on our lives and, and the people that we, we are around. And so to me, opinions are, are extremely important. So that was one of the speeches I gave. To me, it was like really one of my best speeches. You know, so I was I was challenged myself in numerous ways to write the speech in the first place, to develop it, and and then to deliver it in front of people, <laughs> a bunch of, you know, hardened uh, criminals or, 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 you know, convicted felons. And But um, the response was great. And, you know, I challenged myself and, and I was able to do it. And, you know. Do you continue to uh, public uh, do public speaking at all? I haven't um, continued with it since I've been out. Well, you know, we have, um, you know, COVID. I, I was only released in February of last year. So I'm going on, I guess, one more. Uh, and one more week, it would make uh, a total year. I've been out of prison. Another class that you joined was Richard Holler's acting class. Um, <laughs> what led what led you to Richard? Some of his his um his um students in the class were actually encouraging me to do it. It wasn't something I was uh ever saw myself doing. Ever saw myself being involved in anything like that. And well, what did they say to you that said uh, that told you that you should take this class? And why were they encouraging you? Really, I, I really don't know why they were encouraging me. I don't know what they saw in me, but um, you know, they just said, "Listen, um, you know, I think you should join." And then I was constantly being told this by a few different students: "You should join the class. It's a good class. It's a good class." I, I don't know. Maybe it's it because some of the conversations that I was having with these individuals. Finally, I just was like, "You know, right? I'm gonna challenge myself. I'm gonna do it." And you know, I did it, but I really can't say what they really saw in me or what really. I think I know because uh, I saw it when you walked into the first class, when you came in, I was, I was doing something where I was telling everybody how important I'm always telling everybody, I don't want them to act. I want them to be themselves, blah, 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 blah. And then Labrie walks in and I put him up on, in, in a exercise. I forget which one it was. And he just does it just flat out. And, and they said, and I said, I said, yeah, like that. You know what I mean? Like it was the new guy walks in and he does, he did it absolutely perfectly because you have a real sense of who you are. I think that's what those guys kind of might've sensed, you know, why they urged you into that because they knew what I, the way the workshop was run that I wanted people that could be authentic, that could be themselves. And you have that. Do you, uh, Labrie, do you, re, do you remember uh, that moment at all? That first uh, exercise that uh, Rich gave you? Yes. I, I actually, I remember uh, only, um, only slightly. Um, I remember being there. I remember doing the exercise, exactly what I said and what I did. I don't remember, but I definitely remember the um, first day. And I can tell you basically like how I felt. I actually felt calm and, um, you know, I just went in there and, and, and did it. It wasn't, it was almost like it was natural, like, like Rich said. So, you know, it was, I was kind of shocked that I wasn't nervous or, or anything like that. So I always like to ask uh, our guest what uh, your impression of Richard was when you first met him. And uh, has that impression changed over the years? Oh, okay. Right? <laughs> <laughs> My impression of Richard, um, 
And in a sense, I felt like, you know, Richard was um, in character. Like, a lot of times I feel like he's in character. So I don't even know if I really know, like, the real Richard. Oh, my. (laughs) (laughs) So for me, I'm like, you know, I feel like Richard is, like, really in character. You know, I feel he's a great teacher, a great motivator. And, um, you know, I don't, you know, honestly, I can't say I really know, like, the real Richard. Yeah, well. It's hard to know anyone, the real What you anyone. see is what you get, Labrie. That's it. Yeah. This is, <laughs> this is the real Richard. There, there, right, there you go. Right. right. You've um, performed in the prison environment at, at Otisville, and you've performed out of prison, at least in the Zoom form. Is there a difference in, in, in that performance experience for the actor? The Zoom environment and the prison environment uh, is definitely different. I'm, you know, when you have people... When you're in front of people and they're watching you, it's definitely a, a different feeling. But personally, you know, I guess the public speaking experience may have helped, you know, deal with that, what they call stage fright. And, you know, for me, I, I was relatively calm. And, you know, long as I, um, long as I'm, I'm comfortable with my lines and I remember my lines, everything is... It's like, you know, it's easy for me. Right. It just feels like natural. Rich, let me let me ask you, because it occurs to me we haven't really talked about that. Maybe you can reference your own experiences of performance in front of a prison audience as opposed to performance in front of a, I don't know, let's say a regular audience, an outside civilian, prison audience. Civilian audience. Yeah. Well, well, when we did the shows on at, at Otisville, and, and, uh, and Labrie had just gotten, I didn't really know Labrie uh, came in to the workshop shortly before he left, before he was released. But um, when we perform, we used to perform for for an audience that was inmates and outside guests. And then they changed the rules on us. And now when we do a performance, it's only for inmates and only for outside guests. I prefer when they mix everyone together because then it's, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a more diverse audience. You know, and and so it doesn't matter that you're in a prison, except for you hear the squawk boxes once in a while. But like it's the same. But when they when they decided to divide us, you know, and only have the outside guests, it's kind of it's kind of odd. I can say from my one experience of seeing a production at Sing Sing as an audience member, it's different. It's different than sitting in a Broadway house and watching a play. And there's uh, intensity that I felt. Um but that's my experience. It's not the same. There's a a buzz in the air that I don't get in a in a you know regular theater. The next kind of thing I wanted to ask you, Libri, I um, I if if you don't want to go there, that's that's perfectly okay. But I was curious. You spent a, a great deal of your life in 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 the prison environment, uh, probably several prisons, the way I'm understanding how it how it goes. You made the best of your time there, but you spent, you know, 26 years. I mean, that's a long chunk of your life. What's the difference? I don't know if this is the right question or not. Maybe you could rephrase it. I've never been in prison. Richard's never been a life in prison. What, what is it like to know that half your life has been in this particular environment? Now you're out. Now you're, you know, but what's the, what's the feeling? What's the difference? How does it affect you? Well, I can I can tell you how I feel now being out of prison. It's being in prison so long, 
it was it was it was it was like I was I was just becoming disconnected from my childhood and my time when I wasn't in prison. It started to be like I was always in prison. You know, I had been there, you know, to, to go in when you're 18 and you're there 26 years. So I spent, you know, more of my life in prison than I did outside of prison. And it was, you know, it, it's, it's really horrible because you, you know, it's, you start to lose a connection. You start to lose a connection from yourself and really, um, you know, start to question like, who are you? What, what's your purpose? It's, it was just like, wow, I feel like I've always been here. It's like you can even start to forget memories of when you weren't in prison, like the longer you're in there. And it's like, you know, everything is prison. Um, and, you know, like I said, you know, coming out now and getting into the workforce and it's like I'm born again. <laughs> so, you know, that's the feeling I have now, like I'm born again. Like, uh, you know, that's in the past. I, I'm trying to leave that in the past, but I'm, it's so much of my life has been spent there. Um, but my experience has shaped who I am today. And, you know, I feel like I'm a better person now. And, you know, and, and I'm able to um, to uh, be an asset and a benefit to, you know, society, to my community and as a whole. And, you know, that's something that I, I didn't have before, like a connection with a community. I didn't see my own self as connected to a community and to, to society when I was a kid. Being in prison, I had lost even more of a connection to that. And now that I'm out, I'm starting to develop that and feel that now. Right. So. Yeah. Know. Yeah. Thank, thank you for sharing that. I, I certainly appreciate that. Like being born again. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and it's you, interesting and that when you were talking, I was just saying, it's interesting when you were talking, Libri, when you were talking about the prison experience and then you're talking about, you know, getting out, it's like I could hear both of the monologues that you worked on. Like you're really able to take your life and put it into the work. I think that's what's so powerful about you as an actor that Alan responded and said, I thought you were, it was just you talking. It's because for some reason you're able to take all those feelings that you experienced and you're, do you feel like it, I know it's horrible to say that, you know, all these years that you spent, but do you feel there's anything of value that's come out of it in terms of the work that you're doing now and, and you know, the work that you're doing, you know, with the, uh, that you described before and also the acting work that you're doing? Is there anything that you're drawing from that experience that actually works in your favor? With certain characters, like I said, with, um, you know, with the character Ben, and, and I believe that, you know, I can identify with them as far as like the trauma and, and having certain experiences as, as a young age and just um, how you uh, how you respond to to, you know, instances that you experience in your life. I believe that um, that's something that uh, I got out of, out of prison. I was good. Just developing new ways of responding to trauma to, to situations and you know <clears throat> and that's just you know going into a total institution by itself you, like I said you have you develop a coping mechanism it's unnatural and you you, you, you have to adapt to it and it, it changes who you were 
It changes who you were. You develop these coping mechanisms. And it it has a, an ability for me now where I see people who they experience a lot of stress, say, for instance, because of COVID. You know, their life is so disrupted. So disrupted. I believe that I... I don't have these same feelings that people have because of COVID because I adapt better now. You know, my adaptation is 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 quick. I just, okay, this is what it is. So now I have to adjust and, and get through it and fight through it. So, you know, it, it, it really helps you to um, you know you have to rely on yourself. But and in a sense, you just have to fight against staying in a, a low animalistic state, being in a fight or flight state all the time. And, and, and you know, always ready. Um, you know, so now it's like you're just becoming, being out of prison, you, you can become settled and more relaxed. And, you know, but you still maintain that ability to adapt if you have to, when, when circumstances change. And it doesn't cause you as much stress when you have to change and adapt. So that's that's one of the things that I guess you know that I would say that it's um, beneficial now being out of prison that I've that I've developed. Thank you. This again, this is prison monologues. We're talking to Labrie Fulcher, uh, and we're going to hear another monologue from Labrie from um, a piece I believe called Dilemma, which uh, you um, can really draw on your experience of being in prison and getting out of prison and getting uh, a, a parole. Uh, and I thought maybe before you do this piece, because it's directly related to this process of getting parole, if you could talk a bit about um, about that process. How long does it take? What is your input into it? I'm sure your lawyer had something to do with it. But could you give us a little idea of those who, those who don't know how difficult it is? How do you get a parole from a long prison sentence? It's 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 definitely 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 um difficult, and what what really makes it difficult is telling your life story to strangers. If they deny you parole, it's you know you start to feel like why did I you know open up so much and reveal so much about my past and who I was and who I am today. Getting yourself into the mindset where. You, you have where well, you're gonna just really be honest and open up to a bunch of strangers. That right there is, is difficult. Also, it becomes difficult to look at you know what you've done. You know, look at what you've done and you know who you were and who you are today. And and you know so that's just some of the feelings that you. You're experiencing. It's a lot of anxiety, and it sent you feel extremely powerless. And you have these strangers that's making these decisions on your life. Though you, you know, some may say that you have some sort of um, power influence to uh, over of their decision, like it's based off of you know your performance in front of them, which it, it, it initially becomes. You're trying to basically influence people, convince them that, you know, you're ready to be released back into society. And, you know, it's definitely, it's, it's a harrowing experience. And, 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 you know, to go in front of them, you know, many times these commissioners, they become disrespectful and, you know, they, they call you a liar. And, 
you know, if they would even, because um, these proceedings are supposed to be recorded, and then, you, you know, you can get denied parole and you request a copy of the proceedings for your appeal of, of the denial, and then you'll find that they, uh, you know, deleted some of the things that they say. Yeah. And, you know, you just start to feel like the system is a big sham. You start to decide, like, you know, they're just going to let you out when they get ready. It, don't, it doesn't matter who you are today, what you've done to prison to change your life. The circumstances of your um, your instant offense doesn't matter. Uh, at first, I was, um, I had hope. And, you know, but after one, two, three, four denials of parole, I started to lose hope. It was, it was like, I had even started to formulate an opinion like I was never going to be released from prison. You know, as I expressed earlier, I felt like I was already been there forever, my whole life. And now I just started, after going to numerous parole, I started to feel like I was never going to be released. You know, these type of um, feelings are not good for people who are in prison to develop because it doesn't give you a reason to, you know, change and become a better person or, or you know, it doesn't give you a reason to address some of the issues you have. It's not an environment where you really, where you will really actually get any treatment you may need for trauma that you experience in your life. You really have to have something in you to fight, to just maintain your humanity and 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 and, and maintain hope. <laughs> that's what it. That's what it really is. It's like you just have hope and faith. I mean, people um, turn to God, and and you know they just keep praying and praying and having hope. For me, I just developed to the person that I wanted to be. And I didn't want to be like the people who were, you know, denying me parole, who looked down on me, who didn't see me as a, um, as a human being or a person worthy of forgiveness, who, who didn't um, believe in the, the ability of human beings to transform themselves and change and, and, you know, and not be uh, defined by, you know, one act or some act that they committed in the past and just be judged on that for the rest of their life. Like I said, now I'm, I'm in the field where I'm assisting people who are also criminally justice impacted and I'm able to assist them and identify with the dumb in their struggles. And you know, this is who I am today. Thank you, Libri, for sharing that. Let's do Dilemma, which is about what you've just been talking about. And right. uh, Rich, could you set up this piece for us? Yeah, yeah. This piece is Dilemma is written by Bill Blunt. This was performed inside Otisville Prison, uh, where I met Labrie um, six years ago. And Bill wrote this as he imagined his parole hearing would be. You know what I mean? It, and, and he was going up for parole. And, 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 uh, and then we performed it. And then a week later, he had his actual parole hearing. And he said, and he did really well in his parole hearing because he said that he felt like all the guys that were there with him in the play were kind of in the room with him at the, the parole. And he'd been up for parole several times and it was the first time he didn't feel alone. And he made parole that time, which was kind of a miracle. Do you know what I mean? So it, it, who knows if the play had something to do with it, but it certainly had something to do with the, him feeling connected 
and feeling that that he wasn't by himself in this, you know. So anyway, so and this is the at the end of this, this is the final uh, statement. Um, but this is where they ask him, do do you have any final things that you want to say? And this is what he responds. I take full responsibility for my actions. I took someone's life. I was a cause of a mother burying her son. A family has suffered heartache and pain due to my selfishness. When I look at the news, I'm constantly reminded of the negative contributions I've made to society, placing fear in honest working people, influencing innocent children who look up to me because of false perception that has been passed down from generation to generation. I believe that you should grant me parole because I'm no longer a liability, but an asset to society. People can learn from my experience. I have a debt that can never be paid in full, but I intend to come as close as possible. My deepest apologies to Mr. Brown and his family, and to my family. I want everyone to know his death will not be in vain. Today, I can honestly say that I'm proud of who I am, who I've become. Things can only get better for me and those around me. I understand that we all make bad decisions, some worse than others. The key for me to live a successful life is to be able to learn from those decisions, grow from them, and continue to move forward. My experiences don't define me. I define my experiences. I've learned that life is more than a present problem or situation. It is an ongoing process of teaching moment. I must be a good student and learn from it. And as I've learned, it's my obligation to teach. I am no longer a creature of circumstance, but a creator of circumstance. There you go. Thank you. And I, I, you know, I can tell you personally that it's it's like you know, it was like that was taken from from my mind, and and and, and I, I expressed this, and you know, maybe using different words, but I expressed this same sentiment at all of my parole boards, and you know, finally after fifth one. You know, I was released. So, you know, a, a man could be in prison and come to this point in his life. And it's like it still doesn't matter. You know, it still doesn't matter. You did what you did and it's just going to be punished forever. I appreciate, you know, Rich and given the opportunity to be able to play this part and, and, and you know, maybe um, shed some light on what it is to have to experience, you know, parole board, what it is to actually be in front of people, you know, just three random people, and they have a decision whether or not you can be released from prison. The parole board definitely needs to change. It definitely, you know, the discretion that they have, you know, the power that they have over the lives of human beings is just extremely great. And it needs to be some kind of change in that whole parole board system. I also, you know, would like to uh, like to say that um, I'm deeply, I'm deeply, deeply, uh, you know, regretful and sorry for what I've done, and to the, um, you know, the family and their loss, and to my family, and you know, I'm truly sorry. And, and now I'm definitely now out here, as I've said, I would do um, trying to be a positive, uh, 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 a positive force in my community and, and an asset to society, you know, 
I'm, I'm now also uh, volunteering as a mentor with the Flatship, Flatbush Leadership Academy in connection with the 67th Precinct in Flatbush, Brooklyn. And, you know, just trying to help young people make better decisions and steer them into a... Uh, Instead uh, uh, them into being better um, productive citizens and better members of society and not, you know, taking the path I took, making the decisions that I took in the past as a, um, as a youngster. Tell us an example of maybe a young person that you have been talking to and the kinds of things that you said or uh, something about the work you're doing for Exodus Transition um, and how you're helping a particular person in transitioning into society. Um, okay, that's that's definitely a great question. Yeah, so there, there's one um, one client that I have on my caseload, um, a young guy who was involved in gang banging, and you know making poor choices. He was actually released from prison because of the COVID, them releasing people, and he was given a, um, a opportunity to change his life. Um, some of the conversations, one of the things I do first is to develop um, a relationship with by having the, the young person identify with me, by maybe sharing a little bit about my past life experience. And, you know, they, they develop a, a bond with me, a, a trust, a respect. And, you know, I get them to start thinking about the future. I, I, you know, I, I get them to start thinking about their family and community and some of the decisions that they've been making and, you know, really start to, to, to question, have them question what they're doing, where they're going, where do they want to be in five years and what does it take to get there? And and then, you know, once we figure this out through, through, through this assessment, then I start, um, you know, helping them achieve these goals, get them to educational programs, um, training programs, getting them into job programs, helping them fill out job applications, um, having um, interview um, mock interview sessions with them so they know how to conduct themselves in interviews, um, helping them develop soft skills, how to interact with other employees, um, with their employers, just you know, help them develop the skills that's necessary to achieve the goals that they want for themselves. And what I find that a lot of these young people, they want somebody to care. They want somebody to be there and listen to them. And, you know, with a, with, a, with, a, with, a, with a push, they can definitely turn their life around easy. And they won't have to um, mind the way I, you know, where I want them. Wow, wow. So, I mean, everything I'm hearing is like you're using this awful thing that happened to you this moment in your life in which you experienced some terrible trauma, as you put it, and you're turning you're turning into something positive for others. That must feel great. Yes, it's definitely um it's definitely feel great. That's why I say, you know, I'm in a great space mentally and, you know, emotionally. I feel good about myself, about life right now. I have a purpose and, you know, I'm just I'm moving forward with it. This is this is while in prison, this is what I decided. I wanted to do. This is what I decided who I wanted to be. And I came out and I, I, I'm doing it. And this is who I am. The Brief Vulture, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and your feelings and your talent on Prison Monologues. Richard, is there anything you wanted to add? 
thank you, Labrie, so much. It was great to hear you and great to hear your work again. And um, and I just look forward to continue to working with you over the over the over these coming years. Thanks for having me, and, and, and you know, I appreciate you guys getting the word out and keep up the good work. Thank you, Labrie. Okay. 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 Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye bye.